This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's Sunday, May 5th. I'm Margaret Brennan, and this is Face the Nation. Six weeks after the Mueller report's completion, President Trump is still taking victory laps, this time in a conversation with Russian President Vladimir Putin. He said uh, something to the effect that it started off as a mountain and it ended up being a mouse. Russian interference in the 2016 election is, of course, what prompted the investigation in the first place. Did you tell him not to meddle in the next election? Uh, We didn't discuss that. Really, we didn't discuss it. What should be done to punish Russia and keep them from meddling again? We'll talk with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. And Attorney General William Barr faces a firestorm on Capitol Hill, angering Democrats on one committee. Please, Mr. Attorney General, you know, give us some credit for knowing what the hell is going on around here. And declining to appear before another. Chicken Barr should have shown up today and answered questions. That same committee is threatening to hold him in contempt of Congress. We'll explain why. And there is outrage over some of Barr's answers in testimony last month. He lied to Congress. Everybody else did that. It would be considered a crime. We'll ask the top Republican on the House committee, Doug Collins, and California Democrat Eric Swalwell, what's next. Plus, we'll speak to the number two Democrat in the Senate, Dick Durbin of Illinois. We'll have plenty of analysis on all of the news of the week. It's just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. It's quiet here in Washington, but that is not the case in other parts of the world. Overnight, we've seen the worst flare-up in violence between Israel and Hamas in months. Hamas fired hundreds of rockets into Israel, which responded with what Prime Minister Netanyahu called massive airstrikes in Gaza. Meanwhile, North Korea tested what appear to be short-range missiles as President Trump's diplomatic outreach stalls. Kim Jong-un personally oversaw that launch. And in Venezuela, a U.S.-backed uprising against Nicolas Maduro fizzled as opposition leader Juan Guaido was unable to peel away his key military support. We begin this morning with America's top diplomat, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Welcome to Face the Nation on a very busy morning for you um, on this latest North Korea test. Uh, It appears to be short-range missiles. Does Kim Jong-un get a pass on this, or are we looking at a situation where more sanctions are necessary? So the sanctions haven't changed. The toughest sanctions in the history of North Korea remain in place. Uh, That's probably what's putting some of the pressure on Chairman Kim today. Uh, You saw this happen, too, right after his visit to Russia, right? Uh, Right uh, after he spoke with Vladimir Putin, he made the decision to take these actions. Uh, We're still evaluating uh, the appropriate response. uh, But I I want everyone in your audience to know we're going to exhaust every diplomatic opportunity there is. I uh, continue to invite 
our counterparts for negotiations. We still believe there is a path forward where Chairman Kim can denuclearize uh, without a resort to anything beyond diplomacy. We're hopeful that we can achieve that. We've made real progress between Singapore and Hanoi, uh, and we hope that progress can continue. It would be the best outcome for the world. And Chairman Kim's commitment that he made to President Trump back in Singapore remains in effect. He has said he's prepared to denuclearize. Uh, my task as America's most senior diplomat is to achieve that. So when President Trump tweeted, I'm with him, he wasn't saying that this test will go without consequence. I, I think President Trump understands that the path forward uh, that is the most optimal for the entire world is a negotiated solution to this. So we're, he, I talked to him last night. Uh, we are full speed ahead and trying to work with the North Koreans to diplomatically achieve the verified denuclearization on the peninsula. Cynthia Warmbier, the mother of Otto Warmbier, the college student uh, from the University of Virginia who died in North after being released from North Korean custody, spoke out forcefully about Kim Jong-un and the diplomacy underway. Take a listen. This is not only a nuclear problem. This is a problem that we're dealing with absolute evil. There's a charade going on right now. It's called diplomacy. How can you have diplomacy with someone that never tells the truth? How do you respond to her? Well, I've gotten to know the Warmbier family, especially Cindy. She's an amazing patriot and a remarkable woman, and I have enormous sympathy for her and admiration for her as well, and I completely understand her remarks. Uh, we're hopeful. Uh, we, we don't expect Chairman Kim uh, to tell us the truth. That's why we're going to verify any denuclearization that takes place. It's why um, we will ensure that we see actual on-the-ground uh, on outcomes. We're not going to take anyone's word uh, for it. But we want to work to try and do that in a way uh, that is a negotiated solution, and that's our mission set. Are you still President Trump's lead negotiator on North Korea? So far as I know. And the North <laughs> Koreans have said that uh, they objected to negotiating yeah. with you personally. The, the North Koreans don't get to choose our negotiator. Uh, we don't get to choose theirs. Uh, each of these two leaders is also very personally committed to this effort. They've both shown great effort to try and achieve this outcome. Uh, I, I'm working to support those two leaders so that we can get the outcome that the world deserves. I want to ask you about China. Chinese officials are headed here to Washington for mm -hmm. trade talks. Um, we heard from a Pentagon official on Friday a pretty stark description of what is underway right now in China. Uh, he said that there are three million Muslims being rounded up into concentration camps in China. Why hasn't the administration taken any kind of action or sanction against Beijing for this? Oh, goodness. Uh, the, President Trump has pushed back against China in a way that no previous president had. Uh, they'd, they'd given, they, they had given the Chinese a free pass in every dimension. President Trump is now pushing back on the enormous trade abuses. You've seen me personally speak out about the same situation that you're describing, this, uh, this number, uh, certainly up to a million people held in re-education camps. Uh, the Trump administration is going to hold every nation You're accountable. You're okay with that term, re-education camps, not concentration camps, which the Pentagon used? We can, we can use lots of different terms to describe what's taking place. This is enormous human rights violations. I've spoken about it repeatedly. Why the, the entire administration between, has spoken out it repeatedly. You just said a million minorities. Yeah. The Pentagon says three million. Yeah. Is there a discrepancy within the administration on no. what to do about this and there, what's actually there's, happening? There's, there, there's not. Don't, don't, don't play ticky-tack. Uh, there's no discrepancy. This administration... Concentration uh, this, this, camps this, this, is a loaded term, sir, and three million Muslims being rounded up is something that many would expect the United States to raise at yes. the highest levels. And, and we've done so. 
So, 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 so it sounds like you're satisfied with that. Well, right? we've, we've done so, right? And so, so don't, 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 don't make... Should don't we make... expect that? Because the accusation, as you know, sir, is that the trade talks are causing the U.S. to choose its own financial interests over its values. Are you saying that's not the case and there will be actions taken? Thanks for the clarification of your question. I appreciate that. Uh, this administration can do more than one thing at a time. We're working to stop the intellectual property theft that has destroyed millions of jobs in the United States. We're working to stop the foreign technology transfers, technology transfers that have taken place. We've got the largest defense budget in history in place, part of which will go to ensuring we counter Chinese military power. We're working on these human rights violations as well. This administration takes a backseat to no one in our efforts and our outcomes in achieving a more rational relationship with China. The previous administration put us in a bad place, and we're working to fix it. Were you just saying human rights are going to be included in the trade deal? No, hum- okay. human, human rights are, are going to be addressed. And, um, and we've done so. I've raised it in multiple conversations with my counterpart, their foreign mm-hmm. minister, and with others. Uh, you've got the whole world as your portfolio, so let's move on to uh, Venezuela and Russia. Uh, There was this phone call between Vladimir Putin and President Trump that just happened. Uh, The president described it to us uh, in an Oval Office spray. Um, Why didn't he bring up election interference on this phone call when he said he did discuss the findings of the Mueller report, which found sweeping and systematic Russian interference in 2016? Well, you'll have to ask the White House that question. Uh, The president's been very clear. Uh, The administration has taken great action. Uh, I wish the previous one had stopped the election interference that took place in 2016. They failed to do so. Uh, Between 2017, when President Trump came into office, and 2018, we had a successful election year instead of midterm elections. We're working diligently to ensure that the elections in 2020 aren't interfered with by Russia, by Iran, by North Korea, or anyone else. We have enormous resource deployed against that challenge, and the American people should be sure that their government is working hard to keep our elections safe and secure. You said uh, this week that Moscow has hundreds of people in Venezuela, and you were very clear that you think it was Russia that convinced Nicolas Maduro not to get on a plane and to flee the country. Here's what the president said uh, during his, after his phone call with Vladimir Putin. He is uh, not looking at all to get involved in Venezuela, other than he'd like to see something positive happen for Venezuela. And I feel the same way. There seems to be a difference in how the president described the situation and how you and Ambassador Bolton have described it. No, no difference. No difference. The president has said, I think he in fact tweeted, that the Russians must leave Venezuela. We've asked every nation that is interfering with Venezuelan democracy. You've seen this. I I was down on the border. We saw uh, mothers who couldn't feed their children fleeing the country. We saw uh, families that had sick kids but couldn't get medicine. It's all sitting. It was sitting within 50 miles of where we were located. Uh, and Maduro won't allow it to come in. Uh, the president's been very clear. We want the Cubans out. There are Iranians on the ground there. We want the Russians. We want everyone out so that the Venezuelan people can get the democracy they deserve. That includes Mr. Maduro leaving. So when he says, the president says, Putin is not looking to get involved at all in Venezuela, that is not the president accepting him. At face value, uh, you'll have to leave. You'll have to he leave. Knows the, that that's he, not the case. The, the, the president has tweeted that he wants the Russians out of Venezuela. So he was just putting a positive spin on things in that moment. We we are working very diligently to ensure that Maduro leaves and we get free and fair elections in Venezuela. That will require the 2,300 Cuban security personnel, the, frankly, the people closest to Maduro who are protecting the in-tight security for Maduro. 
they've got to leave. We're working on that as well. We're working with the Cubans to try and get an outcome that will let the Venezuelans have this opportunity. Um, on this, I know you'll be meeting with the Russian foreign minister in the coming days. Is there a deal to be struck with Russia on this front? I mean, Russia benefits, right, by having Venezuelan oil off the market, by having a level of influence in America's backyard. Is the U.S. going to negotiate a deal with Russia on Venezuela? I'll certainly bring up Venezuela. It'll be one of many topics that Foreign Minister Lavrov and I speak about, speak about whether there's a particular deal that can be reached. Only time will tell. Lindsey Graham, the Republican senator from South Carolina, who I know you know well, uh, tweeted this week, Cuba, Russia, send troops to prop up Maduro and Venezuela while we talk and have sanctions. Where's our aircraft carrier? He seems to be calling a bluff here on your mention and mention from others that military options aren't off the table. What is actually being considered here? Because you can't refer to the use of military force lightly. Is there an actual option that you are considering deploying in the coming days? Oh, goodness. Uh, the, the president's made clear that no option is off the table. We worked this week to further the planning so that we'd have a wide range of options, uh, diplomatic options, political options, options that would involve the Department of Defense. Uh, we, we've made clear the president. That's hospital has, ships the, the, or that's president, actual offensive action? Uh, there are, there'll be many options that we will uh, fully bake make sure they're ready, get laid out in exquisite detail that are executable so that when the situation changes on the ground or the president makes a conclusion that it's a path he wants to go down, that these options are prepared for him. We wouldn't want to be flat-footed, and we've worked diligently to make sure that that capability, uh, a wide range of capabilities, are prepared to be executed. And just final point on this, Juan Guaido, the opposition leader that the U.S. backs and many other countries recognize as a legitimate leader, has said that he essentially miscalculated the level of support uh, in assuming the military would back him or break away from Maduro. Are you still saying a military option is on the table when the opposition leader we're backing can't get the support of his country's military? Well, he didn't get it that day, uh, although the senior intelligence official left. It's not the case that military haven't left. There have been uh, lots of Venezuelan military that have departed. Not uh, but, but let's make, make but, that uh, not, not yet. We're not there yet. We're, we won't be successful till the day that we are. And we are determined to see that the Venezuelan people have the democracy store, as are 54 other nations including most every nation in the region. They understand that three million refugees, three million migrants that have departed Venezuela, another two million this year is unacceptable for their region. And they are working to build out a coalition to support the Venezuelan people and their democracy. All right, Mr. Secretary, I'm told we have to leave it there. Thank you for coming in. Thank you, ma'am. We turn now to the number two Democrat in the Senate, Dick Durbin of Illinois. He joins us this morning from Chicago. Senator, uh, I want to get to a number of these domestic uh, issues with you, but I do know you had visited Venezuela uh, within the past few years. Um, do you support the administration's approach here? Well, I support their approach, but I don't agree with Lindsey Graham. I'm not in favor of military intervention. But I can just tell you that I listened to Secretary of State Pompeo trying to explain this president's conversation with Vladimir Putin, and I just don't get it. This president is totally dazzled by Vladimir Putin, by the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, by authoritarian leaders in countries like Brazil. He gets on the phone with them and he loses it, gets all googly-eyed over their assertions they have nothing to do with what's going on in Venezuela. Listen to what John Bolton says. Listen to even what Secretary of State Pompeo said. Russia has sent at least a plane load full of these little green men that we've seen in eastern Ukraine, and they are destabilizing the situation there. They're there to, to support Maduro. They don't want to see the change that the American people want to see, and that's to have a free election 
election in that country and a choice of someone democratically. Now to the question of Russian uh, election interference uh, in this country's election in 2016, which is, of course, what prompted the Mueller report and brings us to where we are right now with the attorney general testifying to Congress about his description of that to the public. Speaker Pelosi said this week that A.G. Barr lied. Do you agree with her? Well, I don't know what other conclusion you can reach. I asked him the question point blank, and Charlie Crist of Florida asked him, well, is there any uh, effort by the people who worked on the Mueller staff and such to raise questions about the accuracy of what you said in your letter? And he said, no, I don't know. And the fact is he'd received a letter from Bob Mueller just a few days before that explicitly said in writing the concerns which he had with the characterizations by Attorney General Barr. I don't know any other way to characterize it. Let's listen to that exchange that you just referenced. Reports have emerged recently, uh, General, that members of the special counsel's team are frustrated at some level with the limited information included in your March 24th letter uh, that it does not adequately or accurately necessarily portray the report's findings. Do you know what they're referencing with that? No, I don't. I think... I think uh, I suspect that they probably wanted, you know, more put out. Did Bob Mueller support your conclusion? I don't know whether Bob Mueller supported my conclusion. That was uh, Congressman Christ and then uh, Senator Van Hollen. Uh, those questions that you are saying you view as a lie. Uh, Republicans, defenders of Attorney General Barr say, no, no, this was a, a matter of uh, answering the question regarding members of Mueller's own team uh, disagreeing, not saying that he was not aware that the special counsel personally objected. Why don't you buy that excuse? I don't buy it at all. Let's be honest about it. Attorney General Barr not only received that letter from Bob Mueller, saying in writing that he disagreed with the attorney general's characterization of the Mueller report. He then had a telephone conversation with him to follow and to say he wasn't aware of Mueller's misgivings about his characterization. That is at the minimum misleading, if not worse, uh, deception to the American people. Now, you did have a chance to ask some questions of attorney, the attorney general yourself. Um, the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Lindsey Graham, has since issued a letter saying that uh, offering Robert Mueller the chance to testify specifically about this phone call and conversation with the attorney general. Do you expect him to testify? And, and if he declines, do you consider that a closed matter? Well, I hope it is not a closed matter because there's so many unanswered questions. Remember, there are two volumes to the Mueller report. The first volume deals with Russian interference in our election. Much of that is redacted. We need to know what they did, which led to the indictment of Russians by Mueller uh, and led to, I hope, uh, a new resolve by the United States to no never let it happen again. So do you but expect him to testify? Take Lindsey Graham up on that offer? Well, I would take him up on it, but I asked him point blank uh, on the record on Thursday in the Senate Judiciary Committee, are we going to have Bob Mueller before this committee? And he said no. As far as he was concerned, it was over. If he's opened the door now to bring in Bob Mueller, Bob Mueller, good. I believe he should testify not only about the first volume on Russian interference, but clearly about his conclusions or lack of conclusions on obstruction of justice. You wrote an op-ed recently uh, challenging the attorney general and saying he should recuse himself from a number of the related investigations that have sprung off the special counsel's probe itself. Are you suggesting that the attorney general would meddle in ongoing investigations regarding the president? 
Uh, I'm not going to suggest that, but I'll tell you this. For the sake of justice, and in light of what we've seen in the rollout of Bob Barr or Bill Barr's uh, rollout of this uh, Mueller report, he should recuse himself. Fourteen different matters are being investigated because of the Mueller uh, in- inquiry, the Mueller investigation. And we, Mr. Barr should not be a, a hindrance or raise any questions about whether this is going to be a, a, an investigation and a prosecution with total integrity. He has raised that question because of his characterization of Mueller testimony. So should he resign? Well, I, I've not called for resignation. Some of my colleagues have. But recusal, yes. He should withdraw himself from any of the results that are leading, could possibly lead to prosecutions because of the Mueller investigation. Well, aren't you concerned that this could just, uh, you know, in some ways uh, strengthen the president's uh, decision to take this as a fighting matter, make this a matter of partisan politics. He clearly feels uh, that the Mueller report, in his words, exonerated him um, and that this is a fight he wants to have in the public space. Well, the Mueller report expressly said it was neither exonerating him nor finding him guilty. And that's what led to the conclusion by Mr. Barr and Mr. Rosenstein when it came uh, to the obstruction of justice. But as far as I'm concerned, there's work to be done on the Mueller report in volume one to protect us from Russian interference. Mm -hmm. The fact that the president of the United States had this conversation with Vladimir Putin within the last several days and didn't raise this issue after the Mueller report, what is he thinking? We don't want to relive what happened in 2016 in the United States. The Russians ought to take their hands off of our election process. Senator, thank you for joining us this morning. Thanks. We're joined, we will be joined in a minute with uh, Congressman Doug Collins. He's a top Republican on the House Judiciary Committee, so stay with us. What's your next adventure? Everyone deserves a chance to do what they love. Pacific Life helps you reach financial goals while you go after your personal ones. Plans change over time, and your financial solutions can too. Pacific Life has a variety of financial solutions that can help you complement your life goals and passions while managing the uncertainties. Backed by more than 150 years of experience, you can count on Pacific Life to be there so you can go out and keep living your best life. Pacific Life is one of the most dependable and experienced insurers in the industry and has been named one of the 2019 world's most ethical companies by the Ethisphere Institute. The freedom to go after whatever is next for you, that's the power of Pacific. Ask a financial professional about how Pacific Life can help give you the freedom to do what you love or visit www.pacificlife.com. We're back now with Congressman Doug Collins. He's the top Republican on the House Judiciary Committee and joins us from Warner Robins in his home state of Georgia. Uh, good morning to you. Have you read the full 400 plus pages of the Mueller report? Yeah, good morning, Martin. Yes, I have. And I've also read what Bill Barr actually let us go back and he actually opened it up even more. And I have went to the Department of Justice and read the less redacted report, which means that of the whole report, I've read all of it except a little less than 2 percent, almost 1 percent of the report. Uh, And that is what the Democrats uh, on your committee are calling for to be made public. And in fact, uh, there's this threat of holding the attorney general in contempt if he doesn't share more information and underlying evidence. Uh, Do you expect him to be held in contempt? It's really interesting, Margaret, what's happened here. I mean, a little over 16 days ago, the chairman asked for this material. He knows that he can't get it in a normal oversight proceeding, but yet he's continuing on. And now with pressure, it seems like from his own side, 
they're going to move to contempt over not producing the documents, not showing up. This is about the documents. But if you go back to any other precedent before Eric Holder, you know, Harriet Meyer, others, this is a longer process. We're looking at 16 days or a little over that to actually go to a contempt report on information that he knows he can't get. My question right. to the chairman is, why don't he go down, why don't he read what's already available? And then if he wants more, then work with the Department of Justice to figure this out instead of having the public show of contempt and trying to discredit Bill Barr. Well, Democrats would say if they look at it and can't talk about it publicly, then that's not fair. Um, but on top of this, are you disappointed that the attorney general didn't come before your committee so you could have this conversation? I'm very disappointed that my chairman let that happen. I wanted to actually talk to Bill Barr. He had that opportunity. And, and the day before, he was in the Senate and sit for over six hours and even a double round of questions from Democrats. Bill Barr is not afraid of testifying. Bill Barr is, is frankly, has already said he will testify. He just didn't want to be a part of a, a show in which the Democrats, who have not brought up impeachment because they know they can't. In fact, I have a question for you, Margaret. Mm-hmm. Why would you impeach a president except for the, on, the, on what is found out? Because Mueller said there was no collusion. There was no obstruction. I mean, at this point, I mean, you, he is. We have the yeah. best economy we've had in years. Fifty years of unemployment. What were you impeaching him for? We're going to talk they about that. They won't make it look like impeachment. We're going to talk about that more. They want to make it you. look like impeachment. We're going to have to take a quick commercial break, and I want to talk to you more about that on the other side of it. So please stay with us. I used to think that all diet and weight loss plans were the same. Well, not anymore, because I found Noom. Noom is a new and totally different approach to losing weight and getting healthy that uses psychology and small goals to help change your habits. So it's easy to lose the weight and keep it off for good. Noom combines the power of technology with real human support, offering as little or as much help as you want along the way. And since Noom is an app, it's always with you and easy to use, which makes it super easy to stay on track and reach your goals. Plus, it's really simple to get started. Just go online, answer a few quick questions, and they'll create a personalized program just for you. Noom helped me lose my old way of thinking about food and dieting. So what do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash podcast, N-O-O-M dot com slash podcast, and start your 14-day trial today. Like they say, change your habits, change your mind, and change for good with Noom. Face the Nation. We want to continue our conversation with the top Republican on the House Judiciary Committee, Georgia Congressman Doug Collins. Uh, Congressman, let's pick up where we left off. Uh, in, in terms of the Attorney General's testimony and the questions about uh, the accuracy and truthfulness of his accounts to the public and Congress, we now know, because it became public, that the special counsel himself wrote a letter dated March 27th saying, quote, there is now public confusion about critical aspects of the results of our investigation. This threatens to undermine the central purpose for which the department appointed the special counsel to assure full public confidence in the outcome of the investigations. Do you want the special counsel to appear and explain exactly what he was objecting to here? We've already asked for the special counsel to come, Margaret. We did that over a month ago because we believe, you know, actually he is the, the fact witness here. He was the one that conducted the hearing, the investigation over two years, spending, multi, you know, well over $30 million, had all the assets in place with a grand jury and everything. He's the one that is the central figure here. But, the but one do you thing know what he was letter, objected to, worth, objecting to in that letter? Because you seem to be uh, defending the attorney general. 
Well, I think if you read the letter, you see what he's concerned about. He was concerned about the public perception, a la what has happened through the press, on how it was uh, being per- portrayed. The when quote he, when was you look as at I it, read what he's it saying there, is there's a rollout. I read it, and I read the letter as well in, in totality, in which he never disagreed with the conclusions of the Attorney General. He, the conclusions were right, and as the Attorney General has said, and also Mr. Mueller said in that letter, he was concerned about how it was put out. He thought there might have been more put out at a certain time, and it was the Attorney General's job to actually make sure on how he was going to put that out for most of the folks in the public to see it. That was, I think, believe the difference if you take a strict reading of the letter. Okay. Um, this is not... The only hearing. In fact, there are many investigations. There are many subpoenas that have been issued to uh, the administration. Uh, And and it seems that really you're seeing a a head to head clash between uh, the congressional branch of government and the White House on many fronts. Uh, Is the refusal to comply worrisome to you that this is setting a precedent uh, that undermines the oversight of capabilities? Uh, and charge of Congress. No, it does not, because this happened with every administration. In fact, you know, during the Obama administration, there was a lot of pushback. There was always a slow walk of, of information requested and sometimes a rescheduling of witnesses. This is something that goes on between the administration and the congressional branch at all times. Now, I'm very much in favor of congressional oversight, no matter who's in the White House. And we have that proper role. But there is a give and take between the two. And I believe if, especially in the regards of what we're seeing right now from my chairman, if the chairman would actually engage and then find a way to find accommodations, offer a accommodations, do the things that have been done in the past historically, instead of rushing to do a contempt or rushing to a press release or rushing to make an assumption, then I think we could actually get to the oversight that we need to have on this. Congressman, thank you for your time this morning. We turn now to Congressman Eric Swalwell, who joins us this morning from Mason City, Iowa, where he is campaigning for the Democratic presidential nomination. A welcome to Face the Nation, Congressman. I know you are uh, very thank you. You are very much involved uh, as well with these hearings and these investigations. Uh, so let's start there before we talk about your 2020 platform. Um, this hearing that we were just talking about, that the Attorney General did not show up for, in the center of the room. One of your Democratic colleagues put a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken and an actual chicken. It uh, obviously got a lot of press attention, but is this really the tone that Democrats want to set? Margaret, the, the tone we want to set is to highlight that America was attacked by the Russians in 2016. The basic function of a government is to protect its people from a foreign attack. And we needed the attorney general to come to Congress, a separate branch of power, and tell us what the Russians did, who they worked with, and what we can do next. And he chose not to show up. And there's going to be consequences for that. And that was highlighted by another colleague of mine. But the bigger issue here is he didn't show up. He didn't show up. They argue over these procedural arguments in regard to having uh, other lawyers, staff lawyers, question alongside a congressman like yourself. Um, for you, you, you think this is just a refusal to comply because of what? You know, Margaret, I don't care if we asked him to meet us here in Mason City to tell us about what the Russians did. We are a separate branch of power and we have the right to ask so we can protect the American people. And again, I think this is more about not wanting to play an away game. He had a home game with the Senate with Chairman Graham. He didn't do so well there. It looks like he lied to Congress and he didn't want to come the next day where he would face even more tough questions. And again, the bigger picture here, if we are not able to protect our people from a foreign attack, 
do we really actually have a government that can defend us? You said you seem to agree with Speaker Pelosi that the attorney general lied specifically here. What is it that you are taking issue with? Well, first, he prejudged the report before he even became attorney general. I think he should have never been confirmed, but once confirmed, should have recused. Second, he falsely accused the Obama administration of spying on the Trump campaign. Third, he mischaracterized at the press conference and to Congressman Chris what Bob Mueller's view was on the report. And finally, and most importantly, he missed the deadline last week to give us the full Mueller report. There have to be consequences for that. For that reason, I think you have to move this obstructor out of the way, and I'm recommending that we impeach Attorney General Barr so that we can get the information we need to protect our country. Did you read all the Mueller report? Yes. And I, there's an eighth of it that I'm not allowed to read that I should be allowed to read. Uh, well, your leadership um, has the ability to read it, but we know that there's a reason for that objection. Uh, but I want to get to the point of the sweeping and systematic Russian interference that is laid out uh, in the report uh, is substantiated. But I know you have been talking because you are also in an intelligence role on that uh, House committee saying a number of things that I want to quote back to you up until this point. You said when you were asked in January, do you believe the president right now has been an agent of the Russians? You said yes. You were asked again at the end of that month by a questioner, I'm still not hearing any evidence that he's an agent of Russia. And you said, yeah, I think it's pretty clear. It's almost hiding in plain sight. The Mueller report did not substantiate any conspiracy or coordination with Russia. Do you regret prejudging the outcome? No, actually, I I think I should have been louder considering the top of your show. And you talked about the phone call between Vladimir Putin and the president at the president's Request and, and Margaret, the Mueller team was not even allowed to look at the financial entanglements. So I think it's really hard to draw a conclusion about conspiracy if they couldn't look at the president's tax returns. You if still they believe look he's at an agent of Russia? Loans from the, I think he acts on their behalf. I mean, again, I think 10 years from now, we're going we're gonna to look at what happened this week and we're going to say, are you kidding me? After Russia attacked the United States, after the special counsel laid out 200 pages of links between the Russians and the Trumps and how they tried to help him, our president, instead of calling the Russian president and saying, don't do this again, he talked to him for an hour and a half and said that the Russian president was smiling. I mean, that is just nutty, Margaret. That is putting the Russians' interest ahead of the United States' interests. This, along with other investigations, the administration is pushing back on. Um, given the level of pushback, uh, do you think that this is stirring up enough frustration among Democrats that they might change the judgment and go ahead with impeachment. Do you support impeachment of the president? This president is taking us down that road. It's, it's maybe the only road to save the country. But right now, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, with the attorney general, I think we should move to impeach him first. Now, I'm, I'm the father of a, a two-year-old and a six-month-old. We're going through the terrible twos. When my son misbehaves, we take a toy away. We know if we don't do that, he's only going to get worse. We have a really bad kid at the White House. And unless we start showing that there are consequences for their actions, he's only going to get worse. And the next kid, the next president, is going to look at what we did now and judge their actions based on whether there were consequences or not. So we have to start taking this president seriously and speaking the only language they know, which is force and consequence. So you're running for president. Day one, more sanctions on Russia? 
Uh, yes, but also day one is take the oath and go on a global affirmation tour to assure our NATO allies and others that we are still with them and we need them to be a check on Russia. Uh, Congressman, more to talk about with you, but we're going to have to leave it there. I look forward to that. Pick that conversation Thank up you. another time and we will be back with our political panel. Are you having trouble sleeping? NFL players have been coached. Blue light from smart devices, it can affect your sleep. They'll even wear blue blocker glasses in the evening for improved sleep. Others will try tart cherry juice and smoothies. Not only can it help fight inflammation, but to help you sleep, it's got high amounts of natural melatonin that's beneficial for sleep. The other night, my girlfriend told me I was snoring way too much and even the earplugs weren't helping. So the next day, she took me to the Sleep Number store because if I was snoring, at least she could get a good night's sleep on a Sleep Number bed. Sleep Number beds allow you to adjust on each side to your ideal firmness, comfort, and support. The Sleep Number 360 smart bed senses your movement and automatically adjusts to keep you sleeping comfortably through the night. With Sleep IQ technology inside the bed, it tracks how you're sleeping so you can know every morning how well you've slept and gain insights for your best sleep. Experience the smart, effortless comfort of the Sleep Number 360 smart bed. Find your competitive edge with proven quality sleep from $999. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Find the one nearest you at sleepnumber.com slash cadence. That's sleepnumber.com slash C-A-D-E-N-C-E. Sleep Number. We turn now to our political panel. Byron York is the chief political correspondent for The Washington Examiner. Shauna Thomas is the Washington bureau chief for Vice News. Rachel Bade covers Congress for The Washington Post. And Michael Crowley is the White House and national security editor at Politico. Not for long, though, because congratulations, Michael. I know you're headed to a new assignment for The New York Times to cover the White House. Thank you. I'm excited. Thank you. Uh, and hope to have you back at this table. Um, Byron, good to see you. Thank you. The Speaker of the House says that the Attorney General lied under oath. Did he? I don't think so. I think you could, you, if you look at the text of what the Attorney General said in that exchange with Representative Christ, you played it earlier. If you look at the text, uh, Bill Barr gave an accurate and very lawyerly answer. We've seen that in Congress before. Uh, he was asked about Robert Mueller's team, about a news story that had appeared in the New York Times right before, about members of Mueller's team had told associates that they were unhappy with the report, specifically said they didn't know what Mueller himself thought. And Bob, uh, Bill Barr said, look, I talked to Robert Mueller himself. I don't know what his team said. And that's why I answered the question. It was not forthcoming. It was narrow. But it was not a lie. But the letter from the special counsel that became public this week underscores, it seems, uh, at least some level of disagreement between the special counsel and the attorney general in the public portrayal. Well, How do we make sense of that? Well, I don't think there's any, any doubt about that. I think Barr would say, look, there was intense public pressure when the, when the report was sent over to the Justice Department on March the 22nd. I had to get something out. So in a couple of days, I summarized the report's principal conclusions. Uh, I didn't characterize the whole report. Uh, basically, he said that uh, Mueller had found uh, there was the evidence did not substantiate a charge of conspiracy and that he chose not to exonerate uh, the president on obstruction. And he included that in his letter. So, look, I think a two-page letter is not going to characterize a 448-page report. But 
What this underscores, and I think also what Barr's hearing in the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee underscores, is the need to hear from Mueller. There were so many questions that Attorney General Barr got that day, and what I was struck by was they were asking him to characterize Bob Mueller's thoughts. And there was even one time where he says, I don't want to characterize Bob's thoughts about a question um, from a Democrat. And I think if... If Bob Mueller is willing to speak to the Senate Judiciary Committee, to a House committee, that whole thing, he can actually answer some of these questions that Barr got. And that can help figure out, you know, was it a lie? Was it not a lie? Um, all of those things actually sort of rest on Bob Mueller. There's also the saying that, you know, if you're explaining, you're losing. So maybe, you know, Barr can go out there and try to explain, well, I thought the question was this or that. But Democrats feel they definitely have enough um, in terms of saying he lied. And it's not just that comment. You know, he has now ignored uh, two subpoenas from the House Democrats. Um, he did not show up at a hearing that he was supposed to attend last week. Um, and they have a whole list of grievances with him. And so we're going to see them. It's interesting with your interview with Swalwell. He talked about impeaching Barr, um, you know, the and Judiciary Committee. The press, yeah. Right, right. Well, there's this debate going on about do we just hold bar in contempt of Congress? Because they are going to do that. It's a matter of when, not if. Um, but, you know, if they impeach bar, does that make it harder for them to one day impeach the president? And there was a private conversation with some Judiciary Democrats last week where they actually debated that very thing. Can they impeach both? Or if they're going to impeach anyone, they would want to impeach the president, not bar. So it's sort of an interesting how they handle that will be interesting. Any to watch. attempt to impeach is dead on arrival in the Republican-controlled Senate. So what does this accomplish? To people at home, it just sounds like more fighting in Washington. Yeah, so I think um, with the Mueller report, the Democrats had, the House Democrats had a call right after the Mueller report came out, and the message was still the same. Do not talk about impeachment. Well, let's talk about investigating the president. We'll keep investigating him and see where it leads. Uh, but there was a turning point, I feel like, last week with a lot of Democrats when the president came out and said, I'm going to ignore all the subpoenas. Um, that that infuriated a whole bunch of Democratic investigators in the House. And that, more than the Mueller report, I would say, has made more people start talking about impeachment. Now, Pelosi is still pushing back on that, but she is feeling a lot of heat from her members right now, which I think is why you see her rhetoric become sharper and sharper, accusing the president being worse than Nixon, for instance. Mm -hmm. But, you know, she's going to have to find a way to sort of calm the caucus down if she doesn't want to do impeachment, because a lot more Democrats are talking about it. Michael, is it a fair question? And it's a question I put to Secretary of State. I'll say that. But is it a fair question to ask why the president didn't bring this up with Vladimir Putin, given that it has been discussed, they have confronted him in some way through other channels? Does in the wake of the Mueller report, should we have expected the president to have pushed Vladimir Putin? Well, I wouldn't have expected it because at this point we know that the president just doesn't want to talk about this. He doesn't want to prioritize it in his relationship with Putin. And I, I find it, although, um, you know, strange on some level, also utterly unsurprising. Um, and what's more striking to me is, in general, the president's tone toward Putin is just completely unchanged. So, in other words, it's not that particular point about election interference and is he still pushing that. It's that... Uh, he's still talking about trying to have a, a good relationship with Russia, speaking in generally positive terms about Putin, kind of describing this, um, you know, this kind of bonhomie that they have between each other, this light rapport, joking around. Uh, Putin was smiling through the telephone, that kind of strange formulation the president used. And, you know, I do wonder if there's some part of Trump that now feels that all the Russia stuff is behind us, and I can get back to work on this mm -hmm. relationship with Putin. Now, Congress has really tied his hands, made it difficult for him to change U.S. policy. There's still a lot... 
Trump can do uh, uh, in terms of building relations with Putin, giving Putin more freedom around the world to act. His comments about Venezuela, although he said one thing uh, uh, verbally and another thing on Twitter, as Mike Pompeo pointed out, um, he can still make it easier for Putin to operate in Venezuela and elsewhere, places like Syria and the Middle East, if he wants to. So I would say beyond that particular question, which is very important, I'm watching to see whether Trump now feels like he can resume this effort to develop some kind of relationship. And the last thing I'll say, Margaret, very quickly, uh, is Pompeo meeting with the Russian foreign minister to tee up a potential Trump-Putin meeting at the G20 summit in Japan this summer? I think that's very possible. Can I say one thing on this? This Trump... We're going to have to take a break and then finish. I'll give you that thought on the other side of it. So stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. Memories make us laugh and cry. And sometimes cringe when we look back at our fashion choices. But in between flashbacks of bowl cuts and dad jeans, our memories are fading, and so is the old media that holds them. Hi, I'm Adam Baselogger. And I'm Nick Mako, and we're the founders of Legacy Box. Legacy Box is the easiest and safest way to preserve your family memories. Here's how it works. Fill Legacy Box with your outdated media. We professionally digitize and send them back on DVDs, thumb drive, or the cloud. Look, those forgotten home movies, VHS tapes, film reels, and photos are degrading right before your eyes. Experience peace of mind and enjoy reliving the glory days. Join more than half a million families who have already trusted Legacy Box. Save your memories today. Visit LegacyBox.com save. And for a limited time, get 40% off your order. That's LegacyBox.com save for 40% off. LegacyBox.com save. We're back now with our political panel, Byron. I'll start with you. I cut you off before the break. Well, the, we were talking about Russia and the president's lack of confrontation yeah, with Putin. I mean, the Trump-Putin show is a recurring show. Trump has consistently refused to publicly condemn uh, Putin. It just happens over and over and over, and I think he makes a mistake every time he does that. Uh, but with Trump, as with everything else, there are always two levels going on. There's what the president says publicly and what the administration is doing. Um, I was at a, a Hoover Institution event a few days ago, Stanford. Uh, Michael McFall, who was mm-hmm. the uh, Obama administration's uh, ambassador to Russia, no fan of Trump at all, uh, said, I don't see a big difference between the late Obama years and the early Trump years. I see more continuity along the three big dimensions, strengthening NATO, punishing Russia for belligerent behavior, and strengthening Ukraine. Uh, so there is always a two-level thing going on, and you do have to remember what the president's administration is doing against Russia in addition to what he is saying. But it also puts his administration in a weird position. I mean, one of the things about Secretary Pompeo's interview with you is he had to find himself either ignoring or explaining away the president of the United States. And you're right. We see this happen over and over again, and it's worth paying attention to what the administration continues to do. But what does that say to our friends, our allies, the people who don't like us around the world when the president continues to say one thing, but Secretary Pompeo and everyone else say something else? It is just confusing, and it it isn't it isn't clear. And the president's words do matter in foreign affairs. And just one sentence on this. Now that the Mueller report is behind us, and Mueller did not find a criminal conspiracy, at least, to collude with Russia, will the president now feel more freedom to try to change U.S. policy? So that is behind us, what you just described. And I'm just waiting to see what comes next. We may be in a different environment now. 
And I'm interested in what you said about potential meetings since the president has floated this idea of a nuclear deal with Russia and with China. So more to come on that front. Well, let's turn uh, back here to home. Rachel, uh, in an interview with The New York Times, uh, Speaker Pelosi said the best plan to defeat President Trump, not to impeach him, but is to win at the ballot box in 2020. But she said, own the center left, own the mainstream. Is that message being heard? Yeah, it's really interesting to see Pelosi. You know, for for years we saw Republicans sort of paint her as this San Francisco liberal, you know, this boogeyman. And she, um, more than any other leader in the Democratic Party, is really uh, taking a pragmatic approach to impeachment uh, to 2020. She has pretty much put any uh, notion of putting a, a Medicare for all on the House floor to the side. They're having hearings on that. But she's not talking about it. She says, calm down on impeachment. And this just shows this sort of cautious approach that she is taking when it comes to keeping her own majority. And this fear that she has that, you know, her caucus could potentially overreach or being accused of overreaching when it comes to these investigations. And that it could have a blowback not only on the House, but, you know, potentially giving Trump a second term, which is the last thing that she wants. I I also think... It's interesting to look at the Republican side, too, because, you know, you asked Collins about if he had any concerns about Preston here mm-hmm. and about Trump stonewalling all these investigations. You know, I covered his response was something along the lines of, oh, every administration does this. And it is true. There's always a tug of war between, you know, the House and and the White House. But I, I covered the IRS scandal and the Benghazi investigation and the White House, the Obama White House that hated those investigations. They gave over a ton of information. They let people do depositions. And so it's really interesting to see that Republicans don't have any concerns about precedent here because they're actually going to be undercutting potentially themselves in the future when there is a Democrat in the White House and they regain control of the House. Byron, why isn't there more concern about that? Uh, you know, I, I am actually a little mystified at Pelosi's uh, behavior. She has been putting the brakes on this uh, a lot uh, on the on the on impeachment talk. She knows a lot of her base wants it, uh, and a lot of senior Democrats like Pelosi believe that impeaching Bill Clinton was political suicide right. for Republicans back in 1998. Um, And in fact, in 1998, Republicans thought they were going to pick up seats in the House with impeachment, and they didn't. They actually lost a few seats, but they won control of the House. And after impeaching Clinton, they won control of the House in 98, 2000, 2002, and 2004. And when they lost in 2006, had nothing to do with Bill Clinton. And in addition, they won the White House in 2000 and 2004. Impeachment was not political suicide for Republicans. And I think actually Nancy Pelosi has a difficult case to make to her base on that. But Nancy Pelosi also says, and I think this came up in that uh, phone call that they had right after the Mueller report came out, but all the Democrats were scattered uh, throughout the country because of the recess, that some of the things we remember from from the Nixon situation, the hearings, John Dean talking, all that stuff, weren't impeachment hearings. They were hearings about the investigation and they were hearings about what Mm -hmm. was going on. And that her point was, we can get our version of the Mueller report out into the world because we know lots of people aren't going to actually read it. We can do that through committee hearings. We can do that through hearings without quite going as far as impeachment when we know we are going to lose that argument in in the Senate. So I think what she's focused on is like, how are, what is the PR way to do this? Like, can we get all this? Can we get Mueller out in front of it? Can mm-hmm. we do all that and not have to call it impeachment? The problem there, though, is that, you know, with the president doing the stonewalling of Congress, the Democrats, that plan is going up in smoke right now. I mean, they wanted to bring Don McGahn. Mueller. 
Well, Bob Mueller is one thing, and it sounds like he is going to appear before the House at some point here in the next couple of weeks. But Don McGahn, for instance, was a key witness in mm-hmm. the Mueller investigation and specifically on questions right. of obstruction of justice. Um, but the White House is saying they're not going to let him appear. So that whole plan of investigating and laying it out for the public, it's sort of uh, shot right now. Well, we will see if the special counsel does testify. It'll be much watch, must watch television. I'm Margaret Brennan, and this has been Face the Nation. Today's guests were Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Senate Democratic Whip Dick Durbin, Republican Congressman Doug Collins, and Democratic Congressman Eric Swalwell. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com. And you can... If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus, starting May 1st.